I, I, I can't even believe you guys showed up for a talk on murder. What is, what is wrong with you? And so I, some of you very biblically astute people are saying, well, it is in the Ten Commandments, so that's why I'm here, and that's the right answer. And so uh, you're actually going to find a tremendously amount or a lot more relevance in this than meets the eye. So Cactus Northridge Chapel, welcome. Those of you online, why don't we bow right now and let's pray. God, thanks for this time of worship. Lord, as you know, that song we just sung, All Creatures of Our God and King, is one of my favorite because it focuses uh, me on you in a right way and uh, allows me to praise you. And uh, thank you for that, that song. God, I pray that as we turn to your word now, uh, this very simple, uh, straightforward uh, commandment, God, that you would, uh, as Lewis said so well, surprise us with joy, surprise us with meaning and purpose in this commandment, I pray. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen. amen. So I've kind of hinted to it in my humor and in my prayer. You know, when I, when I look at this bookmark that we handed out to you guys at the beginning of this series, and I look at the Ten Commandments, uh, nine of them jump out at me as, hey, I better pay attention to these because I'm very vulnerable to these. I, I mean, I, you know, whether you call it idol worship, the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, or not stealing, lying, coveting. I, I mean, I think we can all agree we're vulnerable to these in our flesh and, and we pay attention. But then I get to this sixth commandment that we're looking at today, and at least for me, I go, well, there's at least one I don't worry about. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a murderer. I can safely say that, and, and, and I don't think I will be, unless you push me too far, but I don't think I will. <laughs> In all seriousness, I, I don't think I'm, I'm gonna go down that road. And so here's what happens. I look at the, the 10, I, I pay attention to nine, I check off this one and say, next. And, and, and I'm not alone. Uh, I decided to do some research this week on you know, how prevalent uh, some of these commandments are when it comes to us breaking them. And I found this in my study kind of fascinating. If you were to drive by 100,000 people this week, uh, whether walking, driving, flying, and it'd be easy to do because 40,000 cars pass by our church on Shea every day. So if you pass 100,000 people this week in your activity, about 15 to 25,000 of them would have disobeyed the seventh commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery. It's staggering in our country. We're gonna talk about that next week, and that's why some of you are even here, because you're picking up the pieces of your life from that. But one in six to one in four people out of 100,000 that you'll pass have broken the, the seventh commandment. As you continue to pass these people, about 2,000 of them, one in 50, would have broken the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, at a felony level. I mean, I'm not talking about taking a pencil from the office. I'm talking about stealing something big from somebody else, what we call grand larceny. About 2,000 people out of 100,000. How many people do you think that you're gonna pass by that are actual murderers? According to the statistics in our culture today, and this is still something to be concerned about, it's about five out of 100,000 people. So it'd be about one in 20,000 people that have ever committed a murder. And the point is, is that most of us statistically don't struggle with this. We don't. 
the closest that we get to is that somebody get, we get mad at somebody and we say, I want to kill you, but we don't mean it and we never do it, thankfully. That's about the closest some of us get to breaking the sixth commandment. And don't get me wrong. I, it's not that I don't agree with the commandment or that I'm not thankful it's there. I think we all are. It's just that we tend to blow by, right by it and kind of put a check mark next to it and focus on the other nine. But then along comes Jesus. And in only the way he could, he doesn't let us get away with doing a drive-by with this commandment, not at all. In fact, I'm gonna show you today that he does something with it, with it that makes the vast majority of us squirm, if not think, oh wow, I guess it does relate to me. Now, before we get to what Jesus does with this sixth commandment, <coughs> excuse me, I wanna spend a few moments looking at Exodus 20, verse 13, where God originally handed down this sixth commandment to his people, and I wanna make sure we understand rightly what it means. This actually can be really important for us where we go today because what we're gonna see here is that God does something in the giving of this original commandment that will bear on Jesus's words as well. So here is what God says. It's the sixth commandment handed down to Moses and it says, God says, you shall not murder. Simple and straightforward, you shall not murder. And the only word that you and I need to understand rightly here, other than not, is the word murder, which is why I put it in yellow there. And believe it or not, there's been some discrepancy over the years on exactly what God means by murder here. So let's take about five minutes to understand this rightly. It is a little bit complicated. In the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in, there are seven words, seven different Hebrew words for killing. And this word, which is the Hebrew word resa, only appears about 47 times. It's one of the more rare words. And so it is important that we understand rightly what God means when he says, you shall not murder. So I'm gonna give you four fast facts right now that will help you understand in a very clear way what God means by murder. Here's the first one. And that is that the word rasa first appears here in Exodus 20:13. That's kind of important. In other words, this is the first appearance in the Old Testament of 47 times of this word for killing or murder. All the other occurrence, or all the other words used before the giving of the Ten Commandments were different words for killing. God's introducing a concept here that He wants us to latch onto. So, what is that concept? Second fast fact: standing alone, the word rasa means manslayer or human slayer. It simply means to kill. You will hear some people say that, the, that this word for, uh, that's translated here, murder, simply means murder, and that's technically not correct. It's translated right, I'll show you that here in a second, but the word itself, not in any context, the 47 contexts, means simply to kill somebody, which is why if you use a King James version of the Bible, it says, thou shalt not kill, where almost all the other translations say, thou shalt not murder. We've added an interpretive element, which I'll show you in a minute here, to call it murder, but the word itself does mean to kill. 
And in some contexts, it means to kill unintentionally and in a way that you're not culpable. And in other contexts, it means to kill unlawfully and intentionally and with premeditation with what we call murder. So which is it here in the giving of the Ten Commandments? That's your third fast fact. And that is that the context of the Ten Commandments almost has to mean murder. Unlawful, premeditated murder. Some people have used the Ten Commandments over the year, years to try to defend pacifism. This idea that you know you should never go to war, that you should never, ever, ever take a human life. There's entire denominations built on that. And they'll even point to the old King James and say, you know, the commandment says thou shalt not kill ever. The problem with that interpretation is that when you read the rest of the Old Testament and what it says about killing, there are so many scenarios where God says there is a justified killing that to then say that the Ten Commandments says that you should never kill, you wouldn't be able to add it up. Give me a head nod that you understand that. So it has to mean murder here, not just killing in general. So for instance, in Deuteronomy 19 verse five, it talks about accidentally killing somebody. It actually gives an example, most of you probably didn't realize this was in the Old Testament. It, it says this, it says if two guys are walking in the forest to cut down a tree and they have an ax and one guy swings the ax and the head of the ax falls off and hits the other guy and kills him, the guy who swung the ax is not culpable for that death. It's an accidental death. That's an example given in scripture. And then another example given in scripture is that you get to uh, Exodus 22 verse two and, and it talks about if somebody breaks into your home and threatens you or your family and you kill them to protect yourself, that's a justified killing. So there's another example. And then it goes on and on. Obviously the Old Testament talks about death penalty, it talks about just war. And so there's all these examples where God says, though sad, there is such a thing as justified killing. When you get to the Ten Commandments, he couldn't be saying all types of killing, it has to be murder, what we call premeditated, unlawful, uh, intentional taking of another person's life. And once we understand that, we're ready for the last fastback, and then we're gonna put all this together, and that is that the logic that God has here is this, and it's powerful, that the reason we aren't to take another life is because human beings are made in God's image. Wow. That's why we put on your bookmark underneath, don't murder, what? Life is sacred. God says that he is the one who gives life and he's in charge of when it ends. Read Psalm 139. Every day is ordained and he's in charge of when it's to end. And then we go, if you believe in Jesus, into glory with him. But he says, you're not to be the arbitrator of that. You're not the one who's to take another person's life in an unlawful, premeditated way simply because you wanna take control. That's God's domain, not ours. And we're made in his image and life, all of life, is precious. It's Genesis 9 verse 6, when after Noah is rebuilding things after the flood, God says to him, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he has made man. It's a beautiful concept. So God could not be more clear with this sixth commandment. He has given life. 
It's not ours to take away. Life is sacred. And as a result of this, we're not to murder, again, unlawfully with premeditation. And it's so important to God that it leads the list in this latter half of the Ten Commandments. Now, it is right at this point in our understanding that we're tempted to go back to our original discussion that we started with, and that's namely to think, well, Jamie, I get it. I mean, don't murder, don't take a life unlawfully, but as you said, only about five out of 100,000 people do this, and I'm not one of them, so I guess I should just check it off and go on to the other four. That's how most of us are tempted to think. And if it wasn't for your wonderful, loving Savior, Jesus, who decided to get involved in this, you'd be able to do that. But when you fast forward 1,500 years to the New Testament era, when Jesus showed up on the scene, now don't miss this, he only commented in the Sermon on the Mount on two of the Ten Commandments, and wouldn't you know one of them was this commandment not to murder. And what he does with it is a game changer. And it's actually really hard to swallow. So we have to park in front of it and, and, and try to make sense of this because it's gonna like blow you away. Look at what he does. Look at Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 22. Jesus is speaking and he says this. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, <laughs> shall be guilty enough to go to hell. This is Jesus talking. And he takes this commandment that you and I, it's the only one that we can weasel out of safely. And he pulls it back in and he attaches anger and a couple of caustic words to it and then attaches it to hell. Is it just me or is I going gulp big time when it comes to this? And so I've known about this verse for years and I spent a lot more time this week trying to understand it rightly and I think you and I need to because Jesus at the very least is pulling us back in to the sixth commandment here in kind of a profound way and saying, guess what? It does apply to you. Even if you're not one of the five out of 100,000, this hits you where you live. So uh, let's make some sense of this. And the first thing I want to do is, is to understand what Jesus means when he says that the commandment's not just about bodily murder, but I now say to you. What does he mean when he does that? Uh, when he says, you know, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder, but I say to you. What does that mean? Some people over the years have suggested that maybe Jesus is changing the commandment. He's changing it from bodily murder to mere anger, which could then lead to murder, but he's kind of backing it up and changing it to, to anger. That can't be, because Jesus made it clear just a few verses before this that, that the law is perfect, that not one iota will ever be taken away from the law, and that he came here to fulfill the law, but not to take it away. So he couldn't be actually changing the law here, because it would go against what he said earlier. 
So then others have said, well, maybe he's not changing the law. Maybe he's adding to the law. In other words, like in the Old Testament, it was bodily murder. But now that Jesus is on the scene, he's going to add anger to it. But again, that doesn't fit what Jesus says about the law. Jesus never said, I came to add to the law because the law is already difficult enough. Jesus made it clear that he came up to sum up the law and the law of love, but, but not to add to it. So what most Bible experts point out is that what Jesus is doing here, now don't miss this, this is very important, is that he is deepening our understanding of God's original intent of the sixth commandment and then deepening our application of it. Let me repeat that, I'll explain it in a second here. He is deepening uh, our understanding of God's original intent as well as deepening our application of what this means. In other words, he is telling us that when God gave the sixth commandment, it was not just about outward observance, but it also involves the heart that it didn't just include the action of bodily killing, but also the thoughts and the emotions that go with it that lead to bodily killing, but also are destructive in and of themselves. In other words, Jesus is kind of wrapping the whole thing together with our entire personhood, thoughts, feelings, and actions. And when you get right down to it, what Jesus is saying, <coughs> excuse me, is essentially this. And it's your main point today. Essentially what Jesus is saying here, essentially what Jesus is saying here is that when God says don't murder, this also includes character assassination. In other words, he's saying that it's not just possible to kill a body, it's possible to kill a soul. It's possible to leave the body alone and look at somebody's character, especially a dear brother or sister, and with your anger and with your words to chop them down to size, to reduce them to nothing, and both in their reputation and in their personhood to assassinate their character. And he's saying that when you and I do that, we have broken the sixth commandment. <laughs> That's what Jesus does here. Let me back up just a little bit to show you how this is really the case. Because some of you are going, really, really? Is that what he's saying? Yeah, I think it is. Notice there's a progression going on here. I put it there in yellow. And it's a progression that you caught earlier because he starts with court and then goes to Supreme Court and then goes to hell. That's a progression. And he ties it to anger and then this good-for-nothing comment and then this fool comment. Real quickly, here's what, what that means. Anger here obviously means unrighteous anger. It has to mean. It can't mean all types of anger. Because just a few chapters later, Jesus is going to get angry and kick everybody out of the temple. And then Ephesians 4 is going to say, you know, don't sin in your anger, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. So there's this distinction in the Bible between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. So Jesus isn't saying you can't get mad at certain things going on in the world around you when you are justified at getting mad at that. He's talking about the other kind of anger that you and I are all unfamiliar with, and that's the anger based on wrong perceptions of others, anger that doesn't apply any grace or forgiveness to others, the kind of anger that goes too far in its application. My wife calls me on that one all the time. 
She'll say to me when I'm mad, you know, it's okay you're mad, but it seems kind of strong for the situation. You ever had somebody say that to you? My wife says that to me all the time. I'm like, what do you mean it's too strong? Well, right there, Jamie, it seems kind of strong, you know, that, that the dog didn't listen to you in this moment. I mean, come on. And, and, and we all know that we're familiar with that. That's an unrighteous anger that we all experience. That's the kind of anger Jesus is talking about. And here's what he says. He says, when you're experiencing that anger, you are right on the precipice of attacking someone's character. You're right on the precipice of doing something to their character that, that will be somewhat irreversible. You go, what's that? And he says, he says, the next thing you're tempted to do right then is to look at that brother or sister and say, you good for nothing. Now, let's spend a few seconds on that. I, I struggle with which translation to use here because the, this is a tough passage to translate. Uh, that, that phrase, good for nothing, the NIV, New, New International Version, actually gets it right, it, it, it is one single word in, in the original uh, Greek here, but it's actually an Aramaic word. And it's the Aramaic word, raka, R-A-C-C-A, raka. And it's a fascinating word. Raka is best translated as an empty head. It's best translated as a thoughtless person. Somebody who doesn't ever say anything that's right because they're so dense. And it ends up being somebody who, as the NASB says here, is good for nothing, at least in your eyes. You just don't attach any value to them because they're so idiotic. That's what Raka meant. That theological Dictionary of the New Testament says it was the most common and brutal insult in Jesus' day. I don't even know what a comparable would be today, but you get the idea. And Jesus is saying that when you look at somebody and call them raka, based on the anger in your heart, you're now attacking their character. You're basically saying that they are so thoughtless, they're so dense that they have no value to them. And it's interesting what Jesus does with that, and this is where the brutality comes in. He says, when you do that, you're now guilty before the Supreme Court. So before it was the court, now the Supreme Court. Uh, it's simply the Sanhedrin. That's what the Greek word here is. The Sanhedrin was the highest Jewish court at that time. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He then says, that you're gonna be tempted as you assassinate somebody's character to call them a fool. This word we know a ton about. Uh, this word is, is, is the, uh, the, the Greek word moros, where we get our English word moron from. So again, we laugh at that, but you know, Jesus is saying you're gonna be tempted to call somebody a moron, somebody who again is not just dense but lacks morality in their lives. And again, Bible experts disagree on whether this is worse than Raqqa or not, but I think it is because Jesus attaches this one to what? To hell. That's kind of hitting below the belt if you ask me. I mean, he's essentially saying that if you do that, you're in danger of hell. I'm going, oh my word, what, what is he getting at there? It's anger that then leads to Raqqa, that then leads to fool. What Jesus is saying is that when you and I do these things, and we are, again, I'll get to this in a minute, we are unfairly attacking another's character, their very soul. We are now in the realm of character assassination. And Jesus' simple point is, is that that is the essence of the sixth commandment. Not just about killing the body, but you're trying to kill somebody's very soul. 
You know, I don't know if you caught it or not, but I, the, the progression here is not just the progression in the result from court to Supreme Court to fiery hell. <coughs> but the, the progression is also, did you catch this? From the heart to the mouth. Most of the Bible experts point that out. It starts with anger in your heart that then you say, good for nothing, fool, or whatever it might be today. And, and as soon as I realized that, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the price of admission today. You ready for this? I realize God's got me. Because who of us here, or at Cactus Northridge Chapel Online, who of us here has not fallen prey to that one? To being ticked at somebody in your heart. And you know that you might not be right. You just know they offended you. They did something wrong. You know this isn't an evil, terrible person. But you're mad at them. And immediately it starts to well up into your mouth. And you find a good friend like Ed. And you say, hey, Ed, can I bend your ear for a minute? You're not going to believe what Doug did to me. Doug said this to me. And da, 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 da. Before you know it, you're chipping away at Doug's character right in front of Ed. And Jesus says, you're in a dangerous place as soon as you do that. As soon as I realize this, I realize it happens all the time in church. I mean, it's happening all the time in culture, right? I mean, we live in one of the most brutal, bipartisan, you know, divided cultures today. And even if you feel strongly about your position, man, it's just like character assassination all over the place, even if you're a good person. And yet what's most sad about that is that though that might be where American culture is, doggone it, it's made its way into the church. Have you ever noticed that? I know that, and I, I smile at this. You don't have to send me emails making me feel better about this. Most of you won't anyways, but you don't have to. I, uh, I, I, I see this in my emails. You know, I, I got an email this week, a wonderful email from a guy who had some, some serious questions about something we taught recently. And, and, you know, he comes from a very different background than, than what our church is. And, and yet, I, when I responded to him, I said, first thing I want to say is thank you for the tone and tenor of your email. Because it was so respectful. It was so kind. It was so like Jesus. Just thank you, first and foremost, for that. And the reason I had to do that is because we get ones that are exact opposite. We get ones where someone disagrees with something we say from the, or do as a church, you know, you're this and you're that, and, da, 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 and they're just chipping away at our character. When honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't have to do with that. It just has to do with the disagreement. And I see that happen all the time in the church. Well, when I was a young pastor, so go back 30 years, I was in a church in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, it was a wonderful church. We were all young, had no idea what we were doing, but we loved Jesus, and we were finding our way in church, and it was all young families. And uh, as you can imagine, it was also ripe for a lot of hurt and stuff, because we all were, were pretty passionate and, and, and out of control in a Jesus sort of way and, and all that. And, uh, and, and, and uh, one of my jobs was to build small groups, and I had all these wonderful small group leaders, and one day I was doing a small group leadership training, and we had invited uh, this other couple, and only the wife could come, and they were wonderful leadership people in our church. And, and to this day, I, I still don't know how it got off the rails, but at some point in the training that evening, she, she stood up and just challenged something I said. And she was wrong, but she challenged something I said. <laughs> and, and the way she did it was like very public and very in my face, and I tried to diffuse it, and she was gonna have none of it, and uh, really embarrassed me publicly. And again, back then I was you know, extremely insecure in my personhood and all that, and so I couldn't sleep that night. And the next day, it was a Saturday, I, I, I called my senior pastor and said, can I get with you? He said, sure, and I, I got with Kevin, and boy, did I unload on him. 
I said, let me tell you what this gal did last night. And I told her what she did. And I said, and, you know, I can't believe she did that. And I can't believe you think that they should be leaders in the church. And they have no right to do this. And that was wrong. And, da, da, da. and I didn't use foul language like you guys would. I didn't do any of that. I just, <laughs> I, I used all flowery language. But I basically connoted that this woman was, you know, borderline evil for what she did. And I'll never forget what my senior pastor did to me. He didn't pull this verse out. He just at one point just said, stop. He said, what you're doing to this dear lady's character is not right. He said, Jamie, she's not the enemy. What she did, based on what you told me, I think was wrong. I think her opinion was wrong, and to bring it up in that public setting was not right. He said, but you gotta remember, this dear couple's been with us for years, and this is not their track record. And at the end of the day, they love you, and yet what you're doing is disparaging her. And then he said this. He said, you do need to get with her, and you do need to try to work this out, but if you go in like you are right now, it's gonna blow up in your face. And boy, was he right. I actually did end up getting with her and it had a very, very good outcome. We were able to work through it. But you know what's weird? We didn't work through it because she agreed with me, even though I was right. Uh, she, she, we worked through it because we, again, got to the point where we agreed to disagreed. I dropped my guard. She said, even though I'm not gonna apologize, don't you love when people do that? Even though I'm not gonna apologize, I do care about you, Pastor, and I do respect you. And that's what I needed to hear. And we're able to work through it. But I had to back off the precipice of my anger, reaching my mouth and calling her a fool and a good for nothing. That's what Jesus is getting at here, is that when we do that and we do it all the time, that's when we break the sixth commandment in all of its intent and purposes. Now, I, I, I want to give you one more thing here today. <laughs> and I know I've thrown a lot at you, but this is Scottsdale Bible Church, amen? We don't shy away from the difficult and, and meaty issues of the word. And I want to throw something else at you that I'm, I'm reticent to throw at you because it's going to cause some of you to feel justified in, in breaking the commandment. But I don't mean it to be. It's just that this is what we have to wrestle with. It's the truth of, of what Jesus is giving us here. And, and this is what I want to run by you. And that is that we also need to recognize with Jesus' words here that if we're going to rightly and fully understand them, that he is not saying that we can't make discernments about other people's character or even pronouncements upon their character when necessary, especially when their character is sinful, godless, abusive, and already shows they have a bad character. In other words, this idea that everybody's a blank slate and that everybody's basically good is found nowhere in the Bible. The Bible says that we're all sinful, we're all fallen, we all need a savior and his name is Jesus. And that because of that, both inside the church and in culture today, we're going to run into people whose character is already on the rocks and that part of our obligation is to gracefully and gently but clearly and truthfully point out that character ain't good. <laughs> that character is not the thing that God applauds. And again, I'm going to talk in a second. We've got to be very careful how we do that. But when we discern a character that based upon the word of God, 
and based upon <coughs> somebody else's actions, God has said it's our scriptural duty at times to point that out. We need to be discerning as followers of Jesus. And the reason that I believe, this is almost inarguable, the reason I believe that this is what Jesus is saying here is twofold. First, and I told you this earlier when we looked at the commandment in Exodus 20, 13, is that the commandment itself makes a distinction between justified killing and murder. Remember that? All these examples in the Old Testament where it's justified, though sad, that there is a killing, but then the commandment says don't murder. I think Jesus is doing the same thing with character here. He's saying that there are times when you're going to look at a character and it's actually justified to say, that ain't good. <laughs> that, that is not a good character. <coughs> Especially when somebody's either in your face or it's hurting other people or maybe hurting culture that, that, that pointed to that character and both discerning and making pronouncement. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting down on here. And yet he is saying, be very, very careful here because we tend to be angry and have it go to our mouth when it's not necessary, when it's really not justified that we are just spewing on other people, especially a dear brother or sister in Christ, and that's breaking the sixth, sixth commandment. Do you see the difference there? And the second reason I believe that this is what Jesus is saying here, you gotta smile at this one. You guys aren't in a laughable mood today, but that's okay. And hopefully you'll smile at this one. Is because Jesus does it all the time in the Old Testament. I mean, I mean in the New Testament. But let me show you this. When Jesus says that we should ever, never say you fool to somebody or you'll be guilty of the fiery hell, what's very fascinating is that about, oh, I don't know, um, 18 chapters later in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus finally has enough with the religious leaders of his day and wouldn't you guess what he calls them? Fools. He actually calls them morons. He calls them the exact same name that he says, if you do that, you're gonna be danger of the fiery hell. And you sit there and go, well, how could Jesus do that when he just said, don't do that? Some would argue, well, he's the son of God, he could do it. No, don't say that, because basically you're saying he's the son of God, he can sin if he wants to, no. Uh, what Jesus is showing us there is that when someone's character is already assassinated as the Pharisees were by their own self-inflicted wounds, that it's okay to call a spade a spade. Now don't go wrong. If you guys go out here today and says, Pastor, so then call somebody a fool. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus himself shows us that we need to be mature followers of him in this. And we need to take the high road as much as we can, but we're not to give ground when it comes to truth and what is right, amen? That is not what Christians do. There are some people that seem to think that Christians always need to roll over and fall asleep and pee, you know, whatever. That's not what grace is. I like how one guy said it years ago. He said, grace is not a place for you to wipe your feet. Grace is rugged, grace is real, and grace is always mixed with truth. And Jesus is showing us that here right now. So again, to be sure, anybody here wanna say that what Hitler did was a good thing? Anybody here wanna try to defend Hitler's character? No way. I mean, Christians, we look at what Hitler did back in World War II and the atrocities back then, and we say that was awful, that was terrible, that was decadence, a light word to it. It was an atrocious thing. 
And it's good to call a spade a spade there. And he was an evil person for what he did. And again, today, I want to be careful today mentioning names, but that's why sometimes I will gently and lovingly mention the names of certain shock jocks out there in our, in our culture today because they're standing up for that which is unrighteous. Or how about media elites or Hollywood elites when they stand up and do things that are just so ungodly? Don't hear me saying today that you can't get angry at that or that you can't even call that out. We can it's just that you better be very, very careful. You better make sure you're standing in God's word and where possible, God says, show as much grace and forgiveness as you can. And more so, guys, especially in the household of God, especially when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Christ, the gal that I told you the story with earlier from Detroit years ago. What was at stake there is that I was gonna possibly rip apart a part of the body of Christ by breaking the sixth commandment. And it goes on too much today. When it comes to your brother and sister in Christ, realize that they're made in the image of God. They're saved by Jesus. And we're not here to kill their character. We're here to help their character. And you can either throw water or gas on that fire. As I wrap this up right now, I... Uh, I read an article this week that I thought I, sh I should have entitled this message with this, with this article title because the article was entitled Murder for the Rest of Us. <laughs> you guys really aren't in a laughable mood. But I, I like that title. I really did. Because it basically says what I started to say in the beginning here, and that's that we don't tend to relate to murder, but Jesus says murder for the rest of us. That for those of us who might not be five out of 100,000, Here's what you are. You're about 100,000 out of 100,000. So we all tend to fall prey to assassinating somebody's character in an unjust way. And I'm hoping that maybe we can change that today. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, thanks for <clears throat> your word and for your truth. Thank you, Lord, so much for Jesus and how he truly is the light, the savior, the alpha, the omega. He's, he's everything to us. And today, Lord, in a small way, we've seen why. And that's that he takes this wonderful commandment from the Old Testament that we've tried to implement in our society today and uh, he explodes it to now helping the rest of us when it comes to church, relationships, family, or not to be about character assassination. So God, uh, give us wisdom, give us humility. Uh, Lord, give us friends like I had years ago that are willing to call us to the carpet on these things. And may we be the type of men and women who pull back when the things in our heart are making its way to our mouth and repent in that moment and, and spare the harm and bring the grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.